This is Brother John Metter, and I greet you in the precious name of Jesus, and I pray that you're doing well, and I believe we're going to have a very, very good broadcast today. The Lord's been dealing with a lot of things in my heart and my spirit. You know, we've been out of the church for a couple of weeks, had some things we had to do and take care of, and places God's been dealing with us about to go, but I thank God that we're back with the saints and back into what the Spirit of God is doing and how God's bringing His people forth. And I just thank God for His goodness and His mercy. But you know, these broadcasts, I'm not just here to preach to you. And maybe that's what a lot of people think, and that's maybe all some ministers look forward to doing on the broadcast. But I, for one, want to make you think about your relationship with God. I want to make you think what your goal is, what your purpose is, where you are headed, what you are doing, what you are seeking for, what you're seeking after, what is the goal in your relationship with God, what is your church vision, what is your vision, are you in line with your church vision? All these are questions that people need to ask themselves. You know, I was preaching here uh, somewhere the other day, and I stopped and I asked some people. I said, what is the vision of your church? And they just kind of looked at me dumbfounded. I said, you can't tell me what the vision of your church is or, or what your church is pressing for or where they're wanting to go or what. The pastors want to see happen in the people, and they just still, they looked at me dumbfounded. And I said, do you not know that the Word of God says, I believe it's in Proverbs, that without a vision, the people perish? So uh, there's many times that I ask people questions, and I ask them, I said, what is your goal in life? What is your goal in your relationship with God? You know, when I pastored a church in Alabama that we founded in 2000, I was there for uh, 15 years. We're fixing to celebrate our 19th anniversary there, and I'll go ahead and, and put this out over the broadcast. Uh, August the 20th, 2019, will be our 19th anniversary at our church in Fort Payne, and we're having a revival there uh, August the 19th through the 25th. So if you would like more information on that or you would like to attend that revival, then go to our website, send me an email, contact us. Uh, I'm going to be posting it on our Facebook page and probably on our website. So uh, I'd like for as many people to come uh, as you feel like it's the Spirit of the Lord leading you. I'm not looking to have a camp meeting or just want a crowd of people to come. I want people that are hungry for God, people who have the desire to walk in a relationship with God and seek God. You know, every week on this broadcast or every couple of weeks, I encourage people to support this broadcast because when you support this broadcast, you are investing in the souls of men. You are investing in your relationship with God. You are investing in a word that is reaching out to do something in your spirit and not here just to preach a shouting good message and a message to make you feel good emotionally, 
or feel good about yourselves, but you are, I am here, and if you invest in this, then you're not only investing in your relationship with God, but you are investing in other people's ability and opportunity to hear a word that has changed your life. I wish sometimes I could go back and get the testimonies of the people that uh, have written to me over the years and told me, Brother Metter, I was in such and such a meeting and the Spirit of God moved on me. I had uh, Last year we had a meeting in Fort Payne, I think in July, and there was a young lady, uh, well, I'll say young lady, uh, She's, I mean, she's still young by my standards, but she was 13 years old in my meeting in the 90s in Mississippi. And she found out about the meeting, and she uh, wanted to come with her family. Uh, and I said, okay, uh, we'll be glad to have you. And she said, Brother Metter, it was under your tent in Mississippi in the early 90s that I first felt the Spirit of God in a way that, it moved me. It changed my life. And I get these testimonies all the time. I know there's people in Alabama. I had a meeting over around Sheffield, Alabama in, I think it was 94. And there was a family over there. God changed their life. God touched. God healed. God delivered. God saved. A whole Church was changed over there, and those people still talk about that move of God today because this broadcast is not just a word to appease you. It's not just a word to satisfy you emotionally. It's not just a word to get you excited uh, and worked up in your flesh, but it is a word to cause you to examine your soul. You know, Paul said in Second Corinthians 13 and 5, <coughs> Excuse me. Examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobate. So Paul is saying here, take time and examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. Are you hearing this faith preached? Are you examining yourselves, whether you be in the faith. And then he turned around and said, prove your own selves. In other words, uh, have a life, have a testimony that establishes that there is something of Christ being revealed in you, that there is something in the working of the Spirit of God that's coming forth in your life uh, and that Christ is changing you and there's something being revealed in you that God wants to make something manifest in your life of His Word and His Spirit, then you can be a light to the others. You know, he, he told Timothy, he said, he said, make full proof of your ministry. That's what he told him. He said, study to, <coughs> to show thyself approved. And in one place he told him, he said, do the work of an evangelist and make full proof of thy ministry. Well, today people don't even know what evangelists are. Evangelists don't even know what evangelists are. All evangelists do now is call pastors up and say, I want to come for revival. I want to... And that's not the work of an evangelist. The work of an evangelist is to go out into the highways and into the hedges 
and reach for souls that have never heard. They're supposed to find them a home church, get settled in that home church, and then work with that home church to bring souls into that church in their community, in their area. You may go outside your area from time to time, but now evangelists just crisscross the state. They uh, go to different states. They go here. They go there because they don't know what the work of an evangelist is. And one more time, I come back to the book of Acts, move of God that set the church in its divine order, gave, <coughs> gave it power, brought forth the leadership and the government of the Spirit of God so people could have direction in ministry. The working of the Spirit of God that was poured out on the day of Pentecost, and I'll say it again and again and again and again and again, was not to the lay members of the church. It was to the ministry. That 120 in that upper room was not the lay body of the church. That did not come along until that evening or later that day when Peter preached. After the Holy Ghost was poured out, it was poured out on that 120 that was chosen for government, for ministry, for leadership. They were chosen for apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. What does the Word tell us in 1 Corinthians 12 and 28? For God has set some in the church. First apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. After this, miracles and gifts of healings. Are you hearing me? Helps, governments, and diversities of tongues. That is what the Spirit of God brought into the church on the day of Pentecost. There were no lay members of the church at that time until Peter preached later that day in the three thousand were repented and were baptized and added to the church. That was your lay members. That was the the uh, worshiping body. That was not the government. It had already been visited by the Holy Ghost. Did God visit it? The lay members of the church, yes, but he did not visit them in the magnitude that he visited the governing body nor put the gifts in them because it was not necessary. The governing body <coughs> is what is used in the gifts. It is what works in the gifts. It is what is edified and brought forth by the gifts. Yes, it works in the lay members of the body, but it works different in the government of the body. So people need teaching. They walk in ignorance. They walk in uh, uh, lack of understanding. It's no wonder that Isaiah spoke, I believe, in Isaiah 5. And he said, My people go into captivity because they have no knowledge. When you don't have a knowledge of the Word, the Word is the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit is one of the greatest weapons you have. That and the shield of faith are two of the greatest weapons you have. And when you don't know the Word, you are missing one of the vital weapons of the armor of God. And people don't know the Word. They don't study the Word. 
They don't seek God for understanding of the Word and the wisdom and the knowledge and the strength that that Word brings and the power that that Word can yield. It was by the Word that God said in the beginning, let there be light. All down through the ages, God has spoken what? By His Word and by His Spirit. So that Word is the sword of the Spirit. It is a weapon powerful there to uh, help you. The Lord showed me one time years back. He said the Word is the sword of the Spirit. He said by that sword you can heal, you can loose, you can uh, cut bondages, you can break holds, you can break ties, uh, or you can wound and kill. You have to learn to be skillful in the Word of God. The Word of God is a sword. It's just like when David was going out to face Goliath. Paul put his, Saul put his armor on him, put his breastplate, his helmet, girded his sword on him. David was just a young lad. Paul, Saul was a full-grown man, which the Bible said he stood a head and shoulders taller than any man in Israel. So uh, for uh, Israelite, Saul was a big man. David was a scrappling youth. Uh, he, he girded all the, put all this armor on him. Uh, I can see probably the helmet fell down over David's eyes. The, the breastplate and the uh, armor was too heavy for David to move in. The sword uh, he could not wield because uh, he was not used to this kind of armor and he went to Saul and said, I cannot go to battle with these uh, for they are not proven. Uh, it is time to study to show ourselves approved. Uh, a workman uh, that needeth not to be ashamed that knows how to rightly divide, knows how to rightly use uh, that sword of the Spirit. If you don't know how to use it, uh, you can wound, maim, kill, and destroy. Uh, but if you learn to use it, uh, you can set the captive free. You can cut the tie that binds. You know the Bible speaks of the sword of the Spirit as a double-edged sword. A double-edged sword proceedeth out of the mouth of the resurrected Christ in Revelation. A double-edged sword was the most feared, powerful weapon in the days of the early church. And that's the reason Paul wrote about it. In Hebrews 4 and 12 he said the sword of the Spirit uh, is sharp, it is powerful, it is deadly. Uh, why? Because a man that learned how to wield and use and had skill uh, with the sword of the Spirit could swing it one way and it would cut, uh, and he could swing it back the other way and it would cut. It would not only cut on one edge, it would cut uh, on both edges, and it was the sword of the Spirit. Uh, people don't have the sword of the Spirit. Uh, they're not girded about with the armor. They don't have uh, upon them the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, their loins are not girded about with truth. Their feet are not shod uh, with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Neither uh, have they taken unto them the shield of faith, uh, which is used to quench all the fiery darts of that wicked one, uh, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Uh, 
The Word of God in the mouth of an anointed vessel is very powerful, very deadly. Paul said it's the most deadliest powerful weapon that there is. So it's time to equip ourselves and arm ourselves, get ourselves under leadership and back under teaching and edifying that you can be taught how to use these weapons of thy warfare because in 2 Corinthians 10, Paul said that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God. To what? To the pulling down of strongholds and the casting down of imaginations. People are bound in the spirit of their mind. They are bound in their imaginations. Satan torments, vexes, tries all in the mind. All these things go on in God's people's minds and they need to be equipped with the working of the Spirit of God. They need to be equipped, children of God, to what God is doing in the Spirit. And we need to learn to study to show ourselves approved. Study to show yourselves approved. And and, uh, when you study to show yourself approved, then you have that word to fight for you. You have that word to stand for you. You have that word to live by. You have that word to stand upon that God can make Himself real to you. You know, there is something about being faithful. If you are faithful to God, He will be faithful to you. If you are faithful to God, He will be faithful to you. And it's time for you to do what this Word says. Examine yourself. So I ask you again today, do you know what your goal in your relationship with God is? You know, I've heard many people quote the Scripture in Philippians 3, and I believe it's 14, Uh, And Paul said, I press toward the mark. I press toward the mark. Let me go over and see if if that's where that is. Y'all give me just a minute. But there are people that they they make these statements and they quote scriptures and they don't even know what they're saying or what they're doing. They don't know the meaning of the scriptures. And I've seen people do it all my life. Verse 14 of Philippians 3 said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And then he went on and said in verse 15, Let us therefore as many as be perfect or be mature or complete in Christ. You've got to understand that word perfect uh, means to be mature and complete in Christ. And there is a mature work that has been wrought in you. You are coming to maturity. You are coming to the completed work of Christ. You are coming to the revealing of the Christ in your mortal flesh. That is what the ministry was given for. You go back to Ephesians 4 and 11, and Paul says that he gave some apostles some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And what did he give it for? For the perfecting of the saints, for the maturity, 
for the uh, work of the ministry, for the edifying, the teaching, the erecting, the building up of the body of Christ. The church is going nowhere. And I've said it, and I've said it, and I've said it, and I've said it, and I'm going to keep saying it until we start pressing God in prayer to restore the fivefold ministry, to restore government and leadership, to set the church back in the order of the first church, to set the church back in the order with the leadership of the apostles, the eyes of the prophets, the guidance and teachings of a pastor and an evangelist that knows what his duty is to go out and in his home area and win souls and bring them back into the church. The teacher is to teach and break down and reveal the Word of God. The pastor is to edify, erect, establish, build up, and guide. The prophet is the eyes of the church to keep the church from falling into the snares of the devil and getting off track. The apostle is the founding word, the doctrine. And this is why I get so upset every time somebody don't like what's being done, they'll run out and start a church in the New Testament. People just didn't go start churches. They were founded by apostles because the apostles set them in order and they prayed and ordained elders in every city. And when they left that city, there was a local governing body sent there to govern the church. Titus was an apostle. Go back and look at it. Timothy became an apostle. He became the leader of the church wherever he was. Uh, Paul plainly said in Titus to Titus, I left thee in Crete that thou mayest set in order that which is lacking. That's no other ministry but an apostle's ministry. People don't understand this. They're not taught this. Uh, they just go out to these churches uh, and they, they go out for one thing, to sing and shout and have a good time uh, and hear a message that has no meaning, it has no sustenance in it. Uh, it's like sitting down to a meal. There's nothing to sustain you. There's nothing to keep you. Uh, there's nothing uh, to uh, give your body any strength. Uh, and people just go out and they go through these services. They shout, they jump, they jerk, they buck. They talk in tongues, uh, and then they hear a message that excites them emotionally. Uh, I've never heard someone in many ministers, I won't even call them ministers, I'll call them preachers, uh, preaching by emotion. Emotion is not uh, the anointing and excitement does not bring deliverance. Uh, that is the reason that... Uh, uh, I believe it was Hosea said in Hosea chapter 4, you know, Isaiah just told you said, uh, in Isaiah 5, my people uh, are, are going into captivity because they have no knowledge. But Hosea 4, I believe it is, said my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. When you don't have knowledge of the Word and the working of the Spirit of God, uh, when you don't have knowledge of the government of the Spirit of God and how it should work, uh, what? should be happening in your life, what should be going on in your spirit, uh, what should be your goal, what you should be seeking for uh, and pressing for, uh, then I'm sorry, but you're walking in ignorance and you're walking in spiritual bondage and captivity, uh, and you keep walking there and somewhere Satan uh, uh, will destroy you. 
Christ. And what I was saying in uh, uh, Philippians 3 and 14, I, Paul said, I press toward the mark for the prize uh, of the high calling in Christ, uh, Christ Jesus. Some of you have said this. Uh, you have plainly said this, and you do not even know the breakdown uh, of this Scripture. Paul said there is a mark, there is a place uh, in God that I press for. Uh, and the place that I press for... Uh, is I know the prize. I know what's to be inherited. I know what's to be possessed. And that is that fullness of God living in the resurrected Christ. He is not not any longer the man Jesus Christ, but he is the resurrected Christ with the fullness of God living in him. God wrote something in Christ according to Ephesians 1 and 20. When he raised him from the dead, he put all power uh, in heaven and earth in him. He did not have that when he walked this earth as a man. Uh, it was put in him after his resurrection. The Bible says so uh, in Ephesians 1 and 20. What he wrought in Christ uh, when he raised him from the dead. And Paul saw this was a prize. Uh, he said, I'm pressing toward this mark uh, that I can reach the place uh, that Jesus came to. And you go back to Ephesians, the third chapter and the tenth verse. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings uh, being made conformable unto His death if by any means I might attain uh, unto the resurrection of the dead. And this ain't talking about when you go to heaven. This is talking about what Paul saw. I want to know him. I want to be like him in the power of his resurrection, that all power in heaven and earth will live in me. Am I going to possess it? Yes, but it's going to come through the fellowship of his sufferings. It's going to come through. Somebody please hear me. Examine your it's going to come through. He said the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And if you think there's glory going to be revealed to you in the heavens when you go up there, then you have lost it. There is no glory going to be in heaven except the glory of Jesus Christ in Himself. The glory of God in Him. The glory of God is going to be revealed to you on this earth. It is going to be revealed to you through the power of the resurrected Christ living in you, manifesting you, working in you, walking and talking in you that you become as He is and not as He was when He walked this earth as a man. There's a difference before Christ, before His resurrection and after His resurrection. And I was talking to a man several years ago and he said, Brother Metter, he said, I don't know the difference. I don't understand. I don't see any difference between Christ before He was resurrected and after. And I said, well, there ain't no need me talking to you then. There's no need me trying to explain one thing to you if you can't see a difference in the man Jesus Christ and the man Christ Jesus, then I don't need to talk to you because there was truly limitations in the man Jesus Christ when He walked this earth in the ministry of the Son of Man. After his resurrection, he was the manifested Son of God. 
and all power in heaven and earth dwelt in him. He said so in Matthew 28. He plainly stated, he said, all power in heaven and earth now dwells in me. He couldn't say that before because there was things he had no power of. There was things he had no knowledge of. He plainly said, he said, there's things that I don't know that only my Father in heaven knows. He did not have power over spiritual death when he walked this earth. He gained that in his death, burial, and resurrection. Many of you quote the Scripture, he rose with the keys of hell and death. You don't even know what it means. My God, people, take time. Settle in. Study to show thyself approve a workman unto God that needeth not to be ashamed. This is Brother Metter, and I see again that our time is about gone. And it just seems like it gets away and gets away. I hope that you can start joining us in our services at New Testament Church in LJ. On Sunday morning, we start prayer at 10.30. Uh, if you want to find the church, go out 52 going toward Dawsonville. As you uh, exit the outside of LJ, going out 52, you will see R.A. Apple House on your left. You'll go about another mile. Big Creek Road turns to the left. When you turn left on Big Creek, the Dollar General will be on your right. You go up Big Creek Road, somewhere between six and seven miles, and you will see a sign there that said New Testament Church at Ella J. Uh, it is there on the left. It's a little white church. It was established in 1947. God is moving there. We thank you for joining us. God bless you. Till our next broadcast.